Welcome to The Heart of the House, the podcast where we explore the text, times, and trapdoors of Shirley Jackson's masterpiece. I'm Kelly. And I'm Mackenzie. And over the next few weeks, we'll be taking an in-depth look at The Haunting of Hill House. Hi, everyone. It's me, Kelly. Just before you get into today's episode, I wanted to take a minute to say thank you to Mackenzie while she's not here, and I can say everything without getting emotional. The podcast started as my brainchild. It is no longer just that. But when I asked her, she didn't have to say yes. You could have been subjected to 10 hours of me just talking to myself. So Mackenzie did everybody a big favor. And so I just wanted to let everybody know how grateful I am to Mackenzie for hosting me every session, to Scout, for not mauling me, and to you if you're still here listening. This is going to be the last episode of season one, but it doesn't mean you've heard the last of us. Continue liking, subscribing. It really helps us get noticed. And today's episode is going to be accompanied by a poll. So if you're listening on Spotify, you will have the chance to answer by July 15th, which work of Shirley's you would like to see us cover next season. So we're going to take the summer off as much as any PhD student can do that. We're really grateful to you guys and we hope you enjoy the episode. All right. Episode 10. Welcome back, everybody. Hi, folks. We missed you. How are things in the land of Bergen? Things are good on summer break still. Um, My class is wrapping up next week, which is awesome. And I just read another book called The Silent Companions that also centers a nursery. And so I'm thinking about writing something about these two in conversation and creepy. This one isn't necessarily creepy children, but children are a big part of it. Is it fiction or scholarly? Fiction. Okay, cool. Who wrote it? It's actually, um, what is her name? I think Laura Purcell is her name. And I don't think this is a spoiler, but the silent companions are like these, like basically like cardboard cutouts, Uh but they're wooden. They're like these wooden figures. Uh Uh-huh that like are spooky and they move and their eyes move and it's very it was really scary is it modern or victorian it was written in 2017 i think but it's set there's two timelines so it's set in the 17th century and then the 19th century cool well i was gonna say we'll have more nursery today but we don't really um the nursery has pretty much served its purpose All right. So uh, apologies for our going on extended hiatus. Uh, I have spent the past two weeks chaperoning a group of students from Southeast Asia, which was wonderful and fulfilling, but it was really time consuming. Um, As I said last episode, the bread does not get itself. But I did get presents from these students and I never get presents from students. So um, actually my favorite present, I don't know if you'll be able to hear this, but So I'll see if the recording picked that up. If not, I'll edit it out. But it's a bracelet, I believe, from Thailand, and it's very rattly. So I like that. I ASMR myself. That's amazing. That's so sweet. (laughs) They were also cheering for Wendy's and Dollar Tree, so maybe I shouldn't flatter myself. The bar is on the floor. Anyway, (laughs) so we are in our last official episode of our Hill House series. I have made the executive decision to do 11 episodes for the first season. However, the next episode will probably take a while to come out. It'll be much shorter and it's going to be based on looking at changes that we here at the podcast will be going through 
um, as we move on to our second season. The reason why I say the podcast is because I think we'll be changing titles and the heart of the house will become the title of season one of insert other podcast name here. I haven't decided on the other name, but when we do, you will know. Uh, we're also going to be overhauling the website as hospitable as WordPress has been. We need something else and better. And then the other thing is that next uh, season, Mackenzie's going to do the show notes and not me because I hate them. Kelly texted me at least once an episode and I was like, these are terrible. I hate them. Yeah. And they're not terrible, but she's going to handle the editing and I'll kind of do the show notes. I think the reason that I hate them is because by the time I do the show notes, I have spent so long fiddling with the editing of an episode, which is very, very time consuming. And I'm a little bit neurotic in that every time I fix something in the episode, I have to listen to it again from the beginning. So it usually takes me about five hours to edit an episode. All right. Um, so we are planning on a second season. We are very excited. We have not yet decided what we will be covering. And as always, we are open to suggestions. So we are finishing up the novel today. This is probably a spoiler, although hopefully you've already finished the novel by the time you get here. Suicide and uh, self-harm will be discussed in this episode. Spoiler alert. All right. So Mackenzie, do you have anything to add before we get going? Excited to continue. Devastated about the ending of this book. So really uh, in, in my multitudes moment right now devastated but surprised i'm not surprised okay i'm i'm actually i am surprised it had the emotional impact it did to be honest like okay. i thought i think i thought the ending would feel more biting or sarcastic maybe mm -hmm. um and i feel like it's so devastating is i think the best word for yeah. how i react to it Okay, we'll talk more about the ending when we get there. Uh, so when we last left Eleanor, she was in the parlor with the rest of the assembled parties, and she was thrilled to death because the house seems more and more to be putting on a show just for her. So chapter eight ends with her hearing somebody singing in the parlor. That's the go in and out the window song. And then she really gleefully realizes that nobody else is able to hear it. None of them heard it but me, she thinks with joy. I think in general, there's something really seductive about being singled out as special, even if the thing that's special about you is terrible. So for example, uh, PhD programs are really hard to get into, and that's true, but most pay somewhere in the range of $25,000 a year. So yeah, it's nice to be one of the chosen ones, but special doesn't pay the bills. And so I think what Eleanor is experiencing is Yes, I am chosen by this terrible house. The intoxication of specialness is such that she's going to run with it, even as we see at the end, to suicide. So last episode, she told Theo she'd never been wanted anywhere. Now, at last, the house wants her, even though doesn't want her for the best reasons. Okay, so chapter nine takes place presumably a few hours later. It's now nighttime. As Eleanor opens the door of the bedroom she shares with Theodora. So, um, Mackenzie, we thank you in advance because you're going to be reading a lot this episode because we're at the end, so everything is important. So, um, applause for Mackenzie before we even begin. All right. So, with our gratitude, Mackenzie, can you read that first paragraph for us, please? Eleanor closed the bedroom door softly behind her not wanting to awaken Theodora, although the noise of a door closing would hardly disturb anyone, she thought, who slept so soundly as Theodora. Very lightly, she told herself comfortingly, 
when I was listening for my mother. The hall was dim, lighted only by the small nightlight over the stairs, and all the doors were closed. Funny, Eleanor thought, going soundlessly in her bare feet along the hall carpet. It's the only house I ever knew where you don't have to worry about making noise at night, or at least about anyone knowing it's you. She had awakened with the thought of going down to the library, and her mind had supplied her with a reason. I cannot sleep, she explained to herself, and so I'm going downstairs to get a book. If anyone asks me where I'm going, it is down to the library to get a book because I cannot sleep. Okay. So just in this one paragraph, there are an awful lot of things that jump out at me as strokes of artistic genius, but I only noticed them this time around because I've read this multiple times. So before we talk about that stuff, Mackenzie, this being your first time through The Haunting of Hill House, what jumps out at you in this paragraph? I think the thing that most jumped out, especially reading it out loud, was the thing about her mother, right? Mm -hmm. The light sleeping kind of Again, it's hard to tell, is this a story she tells herself to validate the fiction that she participated in the death of her mother? Mm-hmm. Or is this a genuine admission of guilt that she's such a light sleeper, therefore she heard her mother calling for her? Mm-hmm. And I think also the the kind of forethought of, if anyone asks me, it's down to get a book. There's no, there's no um, illusion on her part that what she's doing is that so like that kind of admission and pre-planning seems sad yeah so the other big red flag the thing that jumps out the most to me is you don't need to worry about anyone knowing it's you so something that occurred to me this time around Obviously, it's very concerning that Eleanor is thinking, I can move around and no one can know it's me, which of course puts suspicion on her that this has all been her. But she says, it's the only house I ever knew where you don't have to worry about making noise at night. As far as we know, Eleanor has only ever lived two places, with her mother, with her sister, and that might even have been the same house. So this notion of Eleanor drawing on her previous knowledge of houses strikes me as odd, because as far as we know, she doesn't really have any. So... The second thing I want to mention in connection with this passage is actually in the same sentence, and it's in the word, or it is the word, soundlessly. So, Mackenzie, can you reread that whole sentence for us, please? Funny, Eleanor thought, going soundlessly in her bare feet along the hall carpet. It's the only house I ever knew where you don't have to worry about making noise at night, or at least about anyone knowing it's you. Okay. So we've talked many times over the course of our series about Jackson's concept of garlic in fiction. And if you need a reminder, you can go back and listen to episode one. But in a nutshell, Shirley refers to garlic in fiction. And she's talking about this idea of words accruing meaning throughout a text. So when we see a white cat in the text, we will always think of Eleanor. When we see the red sweater, we will always think of Eleanor. So that sort of repetition again and again and again. We know she does this a lot in terms of characterization, but I think she also does it with other words and uh, other types of words, specifically adverbs. So here, Eleanor moves soundlessly, and this is where things get a little bit crazy, and this is where technology helped me see something I had never seen before. So I did a command F for words in The Haunting of Hill House that end in L-Y, but in doing that, I realized that there are an insane number of adverbs in this book. So 
one of the things that they teach you in fiction writing class is that when you start cutting, adverbs go first. You don't usually need them. And when adverbs do appear, they open the door to problems like he whispered softly or they ran quickly. Shirley, it seems, really flouted that advice. She has adverbs all over her book. So I ran my search. It turns out that in The Haunting of Hill House, there are 1,564 words that end in L-Y. However, once I started going through that, I realized that there was a problem because that included words like finally, family, only. So there were words that I then had to go take out. So this is a rough estimate, but there are approximately 1,274 adverbs in The Haunting of Hill House. This book is 182 pages long that shakes out to an average of seven adverbs per page. There are four in at least the first paragraph. And in fact, we're going to revisit them at the end of the episode. So I don't know if Hemingway or Orwell ever read any Jackson, but I bet if they did, they hated it. Thoughts about Shirley and her adverbs. Not necessarily the adverbs, but just like the style in general. Like, I think it's interesting because in many ways, her writing feels very clean when you read it. But then when I read it out loud, you kind of realize how twisty turny it is, which Mm -hmm. kind of mimics the geography of the house as well. It doesn't feel kind of lyrical, the writing. There is nothing lyrical about Shirley. You're right. Yeah. And so it's interesting that because usually I think of adverbs, I think of kind of flowery writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's interesting that it's actually not that case, not the case here. Yeah, I think the best way I can describe Shirley's writing is deceptively simple. So Eleanor is creeping around the house unseen. And as she said, she's off to the library. Now, we know that she needs to get in there because narratively it's the only major part of the house that we haven't seen but as with everything else it's unclear exactly why she's reacted to the library the way she has so previously she cited an unpleasant smell as the reason she avoids the library and of course she says her mother is the reason now these two images recur as she approaches the library and it seems like that blocker is still in place so Mackenzie can you read for us please where it says it was warm on 168 it was warm drowsily luxuriously warm she went barefoot and in silence down the great staircase and to the library door before she thought but I can't go in there. I'm not allowed in there. And recoiled in the doorway before the odor of decay, which nauseated her. Mother, she said aloud and stepped quickly back. Come along, a voice answered distinctly upstairs. And Eleanor turned eager and hurried to the staircase. Mother, she said softly. And then again, mother, a little soft laugh floated down to her. And she ran breathless up the stairs and stopped at the top looking to right and left along the hallway at the closed door. A couple of things I want to talk about in the passage we just read. But Mackenzie, you go first. I guess the big thing I'm wondering, is the house a source of evil or is it a like magnet for evil? That's a great question. What makes you ask that? Because so obviously the house is either imitating the mother mm-hmm. with the come along, yep. right? Or the house has drawn the spirit of Eleanor's mother and it lets, you know what I mean? Like it draws the evil to it and lets it wreak havoc because it enjoys chaos. Both, yeah. both bad, 
but I guess that that's a distinction to me that I don't feel like I quite know. I have always thought that the house itself is evil. I'm with Dr. Montague. He says it seems to be that the evil is the house itself. However, I don't think it's that simple. I don't remember if we mentioned this all the way back in our first episode, but one of my favorite details of Eleanor's drive to Hill House is she sees a sign that's supposed to say the word daredevil, but the second D is missing. And so the sign says dare evil. Brilliant. Ooh. Yeah. So we have, again, the recurrence of laughter. We've talked about how important laughter is to this novel. We also have the recurrence of the word soft. There's the little soft laugh. Of course, the recurrence of the word come, which we've talked about many, many times. I didn't run a term search for that in The Haunting of Hill House, but I would be willing to bet it's over 500. And so this is the paragraph where we really see the implied relationship between Eleanor and the house solidify. As Mackenzie read, Eleanor calls out mother and the house replies, come along. So this is the part where we see, yes, the house is becoming the stand-in for Eleanor's mother. We've discussed before whether or not Eleanor is intentionally causing these hauntings or if she's not causing them at all. And as we go through this next passage, pay special attention to her actions and the order in which they occur. So we're going to do this all in one shot, which is going to mean a lot of reading for Mackenzie, but I promise there's a reason we're doing it that way. So bear with us. So this is the first part of Mackenzie's, this is the first part of Eleanor's mad dash through Hill House. You did not do it again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I could cut it. I could cut it. So you can't cut it. I want everyone to know what you're doing to me. I'm sorry. Mackenzie, can you please read the paragraph on the top of 169, Laughing, Eleanor Followed? Laughing, Eleanor followed, running soundlessly down the hall to the nursery doorway. The cold spot was gone, and she laughed up at the two grinning faces looking down at her. Are you in here? She whispered outside the door. Are you in here? And knocked, pounding with her fists. Okay. One thing I forgot to point out. Whereas the haunting has always been cold in the past, it is now, quote, drowsily, luxuriously warm. So Eleanor has again changed her attitude towards the haunting. I really like that she looks back up at the nursery faces and laughs at them. So this is the first time we really see Eleanor try to talk back to Hill House. Okay, so we've got her pounding on the nursery door. Then, Mackenzie, can you read a little bit further down, dancing the carpet soft? Dancing, the carpet soft under her feet, she came to the door behind which Theodora slept. Faithless Theo, she thought, cruel, laughing Theo. Wake up, wake up, wake up, and pounded and slapped the door, laughing, and shook the doorknob, and then ran swiftly down the hall to Luke's door and pounded. Wake up, she thought, wake up and be faithless. None of them will open their doors, she thought. They will sit inside with the blankets pressed around them, shivering and wondering what is going to happen to them. Wake up, she thought, pounding on the doctor's door. I dare you to open your door and come out to see me dancing in the hall of Hill House. So she's pounded on the nursery door. Now she's pounded on the door where Dr. Montague is and where Luke and Theo are. And then can you read that last paragraph for us, please? Poor house, Eleanor thought. I'd forgotten Eleanor. Now they will have to open their doors. And she ran quickly down the stairs hearing behind her the doctor's voice raised anxiously and Theodora calling, Nell, Eleanor, what fools they are, she thought. Now I will have to go into the library. 
mother, mother, she whispered, mother, and stopped at the library door, sick. Okay. So, sorry, Ruble is pawing at me. I mentioned earlier that Eleanor is talking back to the house. She does that a little bit with everyone else as well. So her alliance with the house has allowed her to essentially return the malicious gazes that have been directed her, at her and to push outward all the criticism she's previously received for herself. So you know that she's all this time been calling herself a fool. You're such a fool, Eleanor. And here she says what fools they are. So again, another brilliant instance, one word in this case, conjuring up an entire set of memories we have developed over the course of the novel. Now, for something completely different, Mackenzie, are you familiar with the Jonestown Massacre? Yes, I am. Okay. Have you ever heard the tape? Um, I've heard parts of the tape. I've not heard the full tape. We um, we actually listened, me and Alan listened to the, um, what's the podcast you like? The last podcast? Yeah, we listened to the first, I think it's five episodes, and we listened yes. to the first four, because yes. Alan is like, I'm not listening to the last episode. <laughs> um, so I've heard, like, clips from that part that are obviously incredibly disturbing. Yeah. So for those of you who are not familiar, we'll put some show notes about the Jonestown massacre, and it was a massacre, not a suicide. But the reason I bring this up is because Jim Jones did that really creepy thing where he calls his wife mother. And so apparently as they started injecting the infants with the Kool-Aid, she was one of the people who was resisting. And on the tape, he can be heard going, mother, 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 please don't do this. And so whenever Eleanor says mother, 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 I think of Jim Jones, which is I'm sure exactly what Shirley intended, even though Jonestown had not happened yet. All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> so can you read on 170, please? Uh, well, I can hurry too. Well, I can hurry too, she thought, and ran down the corridor to the little parlor where the fire flickered briefly at her when she opened the door and the chessmen sat where Luke and the doctor had left their game. The scarf Theodora had been wearing lay across the back of her chair. I can take care of that too, Eleanor thought, her maid's pathetic finery, and put one end of it between her teeth and pulled, tearing, and then dropped it when she heard them behind her on the stairs. They were coming down all together, anxious, telling one another where to look first, now and then calling, Eleanor, Nell? We've seen Eleanor knock on the nursery door, knock on the bedroom doors upstairs. Now we see her rip Theodora's clothes. Mackenzie, are you starting to see a pattern here? Yeah. Coming? Coming? She heard far away, somewhere else in the house, and she heard the stairs shake under their feet and a cricket stir on the lawn. Daring, gay, she ran down the corridor again to the hall and peeked out at them from the doorway. They were moving purposefully all together, straining to stay near one another, and the doctor's flashlight swept the hall and stopped at the great front door, which was standing open wide. Then, in a rush, calling, Eleanor, Eleanor, they ran all together across the hall and out the front door, looking and calling, the flashlight moving busily. Eleanor clung to the door and laughed until tears came into her eyes. What fools they are, she thought. We trick them so easily. They are so slow and so deaf and so heavy. They trample over the house, poking and peering and rough. She ran across the hall and through the game room and into the dining room and from there into the kitchen with its doors. It's good here, she thought. I can go in any direction when I hear them. When they came back into the front hall, Blundering and calling her, she darted quickly out onto the veranda into the cool night. 
She stood with her back against the door, the little mist of Hill House curling around her ankles, and looked up at the pressing heavy hills. Gathered comfortably into the hills, she thought, protected and warm, Hill House is lucky. Okay. So first thing that jumps out at me, or maybe I am just perverted, uh, is of course the recurrence of the word coming, which we've already mentioned once in this episode. So we know by now that whenever we see this word, or pretty much any word actually, we are meant to think of the late Mrs. Vance, since Eleanor was accustomed to saying coming, mother coming, when she heard her knock on the wall. Now, Mackenzie, you mentioned this earlier, but can you just reiterate, what did we learn last episode about the circumstances of Eleanor's mother's death? That she was calling for Eleanor. Yeah. And she didn't hear her or maybe did hear her. Yeah. Um, Eleanor's mother had a habit of knocking on the wall and calling for help. And Eleanor uh, is carrying this guilt of, well, what if I really did wake up that night and I just didn't go to her and I let her die? So knowing what we know now, I think it's significant that this time we see the word coming, it's accompanied by a question mark. So what has been previously certain and reassuring, coming, coming, I'm coming, is now perilous and uncertain, which I think is a great call out to the hand-holding scene. Um, I've mentioned several times throughout this, and I will stick by this. I think the primary horror of the haunting of Hill House is not that you think that nothing's there and it is, but that you think that something or someone is there and it is not. So this idea that I think I can rely on you, I think there is someone there, but actually I'm all alone. Okay. Very spooky. So second thing to note in this paragraph, I don't know why this should be, but the front door is open. Now, if you remember way back in the very first episode, we learned that the front door and all the doors, in fact, will swing shut of its own accord. So just another weird detail among weird details. So the others are running around like a scene from the end of a Scooby-Doo episode. Eleanor is laughing at them, which is significant in that it's yet another way we see her alliances shift from the group to the house. She refers to them as slow, deaf, and heavy, trampling over the house, poking and peering and rough. Now, I never read this as particularly sexual, and then I read an article about Actually, we have always lived in the castle. There's a scene in We Have Always Lived in the Castle, spoiler alert, where the Blackwood Mansion is on fire. And Shirley gives great attention to the firemen sort of busting in and dragging their hoses over the uh, threshold and into this house and wrecking things. So I kind of can't not think that when I read this after having read that article. So again, the desecration of the feminine home space. So as we can see... Eleanor, who previously had as hard a time getting around as anybody, is here able to move freely. And she goes outside to look at the hills and thinks that she's protected and warm and that Hill House is lucky. So much, much earlier in the text, this is on page 36, Theo points out that anybody before or after the Victorians would have put the house on top of the hills where it belongs rather than below them where nobody could see it. And the word she uses is snuggled. She says that the house is snuggled among the hills. So here we have Eleanor picking up on this. She feels protected and warm in the womb-like embrace, not only of the house, but of the hills themselves. The title of, I believe... Our second episode is The Gayest Sunset in Literature. Um, this is not the first time in this novel where the hills essentially are giant boobs. So thanks, Shirley. Mackenzie, can you please read the next paragraph for us, please? 
Eleanor, they were very close, and she ran along the veranda and darted into the drawing room. Ukraine, she said, will you come and dance with me? She curtsied to the huge leaning statue and its eyes flickered and shone at her. Little reflected lights touched the figurines and the gilded chairs, and she danced gravely before Hugh Crane, who watched her gleaming. Go in and out the windows, she sang, and felt her hands taken as she danced. Go in and out the windows, and she danced out onto the veranda and around the house. Going around and around and around the house, she thought, and none of them can see me. She touched a kitchen door she passed, and six miles away, Mrs. Dudley shuddered in her sleep. She came to the tower, held so tightly in the embrace of the house, in the straining grip of the house, and walked slowly past its gray stones, not allowed to touch even the outside. Then she turned and stood before the great doorway. The door was closed again, and she put out her hand and opened it effortlessly. Thus, I enter Hill House, she told herself, and stepped inside as though it were her own. Here I am, she said aloud. I've been all around the house, in and out the windows, and I danced. What do you Our think? girl is losing it. <laughs> I think I think she lost it quite a while ago. Um, but what do you think of this particular moment? I guess it makes me think that Hugh Crane is not the originator of the house, but just like a character okay. in it. Like he is just one of the many who this land, this house turned rotten. That's true. He did build the house, so he is the progenitor in that way. But the line I always come back to is that there's something wrong with the land itself, too. Because when the yeah. builders were building the house, the first floor is ornate. The second floor, they just wanted to get it done and get out of there. And again, the the terror doesn't stop at the steps of the house, right? right. It starts at the gate and goes all the way into the, the forest and the hills. So I think... yeah. Yeah, even though Ukraine built it, he didn't inscribe it with evil. The evil was already there. The 1963, I believe, movie version is just called The Haunting. I always thought that that was a choice made by the directors, um, but it turns out in Shirley's early letters when she was starting to write Hill House, she referred to it as just The Haunting. So that Ooh, was the cool. working title. Yeah. Um, so I guess the uh, technical title would be The Haunting of Hill House and Surrounding Areas. But, you know, it doesn't have the same catch. Okay. So in Eleanor's wandering around the house, Mackenzie, what was the moment you wanted to talk about? So as Eleanor is kind of traversing Mrs. Dudley miles away, stirs in her bed why so she's touching the kitchen door yep. and that's when she shudders so there's something about like the kitchen right yes like at a base level mrs dudley prepares the food it has all the doors so, like the all the exits right mm -hmm. i don't know i just think there's it implies that there's something about mrs dudley that is not magical but is connected with the force at the house, right? Earlier in the text, this is on 67, at the end of chapter two, I believe. No, at the end of chapter three, rather. Six miles away, Mrs. Dudley awakened, looked at her clock, thought of Hill House, and shut her eyes quickly. So, Right, so she's not just a neutral person hired. There's something about right. the house that allows Mrs. Dudley to enter and exit. Absolutely, yes. I think... If we could see this novel from anyone else's perspective, 
I would pick Mrs. Dudley. Really? Who would you pick? Probably also Mrs. Dudley, honestly. Or the house. That's true. I, I would argue, though, that we do see it from the house's perspective. Yeah. I guess I want the truth about Ukraine. So I'd love mm, for like, yeah, like I want to know what happened. I want to know what happened with the companion. Yeah. I want to know like the aims of the house. Like, is the house lonely? Does it just like for people to kill themselves? Like what's going on? Yeah. Is it a case of misery loves company? We don't know. So one thing that jumped out at me this reading is the tower, which is quote held in the straining grip of the house. So I've always sort of ignored the tower. I know it's important, but it's never really interested me all that much. I don't know. Uh, what do you think of the tower? There are an awful lot of readings of the tower as a sort of phallic symbol. I don't think that's quite all that interesting, but I do think that there is something to be said for the tower trying to get out of the straining grip of the house. And remember, when Hale House had its tantrum, Eleanor thought she heard the tower collapsing and breaking away only to come back the next morning and see that, nope, it's just as stuck as ever. So I don't know if it's a symbol for mothers and daughters or parents and children, but this idea of a part of the house trying to break away and the house just having its claws in too deeply. And I think often the house is described as like, not quite careless, but like patient and confident and luxurious, right? Yes. It knows it's going to get Eleanor Yes. regardless and so I think that this is like an interesting contrast to that it's like the house like like you're saying is like desperately trying to keep something to it mm -hmm. compared to how it is with everyone else where it's like oh I'm gonna get you and I can wait for you to realize that the house is a predator but it's the kind of predator content to sit and wait it's a predator the way a cat is a predator no yeah. So Eleanor is now on the outside of the house, running the perimeter of the veranda as she and Theo did earlier. And Mackenzie, can you please read for us the part that begins, here I am, here I am inside? And here I am, she thought, here I am inside. It was not cold at all, but deliciously, fondly warm. It was light enough for her to see the iron stairway curving around and around up to the tower and the little door at the top. Under her feet, the stone floor moved caressingly, rubbing itself against the soles of her feet. And all around, the soft air touched her, stirring her hair, drifting against her fingers, coming in a light breath across her mouth. And she danced in circles. No stone lines for me, she thought. No oleanders. I have broken the spell of Hill House and somehow come inside. I'm home, she thought, and stopped in wonder at the thought. I am home. I am home, she thought. Now to climb. Okay, a lot going on there. Yeah. So we've arrived at last in the library, but more than that, Eleanor seems to have made her sort of grand entrance into Hill House as the lady of the house. Have you ever been in or seen Hello, Dolly? No. Okay, so there's this grand scene at the beginning of the title number where the orchestra is going crazy and um, the curtains of the Harmonia Gardens open and there's Dolly in a big dress coming down the stairs. That's how I picture Eleanor in this. She has entered Hill House as the lady of the house. So thus I enter Hill House, stepping inside as if it were her own. And this is followed by here I am, here I am inside. So I actually hadn't remembered this line, but I'm glad that I named the last episode, I am not, I am not, I am not, 
Last episode, we talked about how in giving herself over to the house, Eleanor has essentially abdicated all responsibility, all agency. Whatever the house wants, the house can do. Here, though, it seems as she steps in through the front door, she gains that back. And again, we have I am rather than I am not. However, we very quickly see the dangerous flip side of that because she says, I am home now to climb. I I guess I don't know what I think about this. Mm-hmm. Is this Eleanor? It just feels like obviously the whole book has been a descent into a kind of madness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, like she was still kind of recognizable mm-hmm. to me. Like even last episode or last chapter, she still was like, people are talking about me, right? Yes. And like this whole chapter in some ways to me feels like not that she is someone else almost. What I guess, what do you think about that? She even says I had forgotten about Eleanor. Yeah. So I guess how much, but is this supposed to be Eleanor at the peak of her madness or is this, she is truly possessed and having joined with the house, she is not herself. The question of is Eleanor Eleanor at this moment? I think she is. Yeah. I think she is and is also possessed by the spirit of the companion. Every single time I read this novel, I think the ghost is someone else. This time I think companion. That's so interesting. We can come back at the end and see who you think um, or other possible candidates. So I'm home, I'm home, she thought, now to climb. And so what happened to the last person who climbed the Tower of Hill House, supposedly? She killed herself. Yes, the companion supposedly got up to the roof and hung herself. So Eleanor is going to climb the staircase. And this scene is really well done in the movie because the text itself is pretty cinematic. Mackenzie, can you please read for us the next paragraph, please? Climbing the narrow iron stairway was intoxicating, going higher and higher, around and around, looking down, clinging to the slim iron railing, looking far, far down onto the stone floor, climbing, looking down. She thought of the soft green grass outside and the rolling hills and the rich trees. Looking up, she thought of the Tower of Hill House, rising triumphantly between the trees, tall over the road, which wound through Hillsdale and past a white house set in flowers and past the magic oleanders and past the stone lions and on far, far away to a little lady who was going to pray for her. Time has ended now, she thought. All that is gone and left behind and that poor little lady praying still for me. Okay. I find this simultaneously really sad and really beautiful. So- Yeah. As she climbs to the top of the tower, we have this moment where she's reliving the events of her journey to Hill House, where she first found her garlic, but it's as if the tape is being played backwards. So Hillsdale, Oleanders, Stone Lions, and of course, the sinister old lady who promises to pray for her at the beginning of the journey. In fact, the entire sequence that we've read so far today has been a sort of symphonic reprise of everything we've seen so far in this novel, The Pounding on the Wall. We talked about Theo's clothes, Hugh Crane's statue. None of this is new to us. So one of my least favorite questions to get as a teacher is what do I put in my conclusion? 
and I never really know what to say, but I always know that the rule is you don't introduce new stuff in the conclusion. So this is Jackson entering her conclusion. So um, it actually just occurred to me as I was reading that in this backwards list of all the garlic Eleanor has acquired, one is noticeably absent. Um, Mackenzie, did you pick up on what it was? The cup of stars. Yeah. You asked me in our first episode if the old lady comes back. And I said I didn't know. We have not heard from this this old lady in, what, nine episodes and about 180 pages. But we have had an awful lot of Cup of Stars stuff. The Cup of Stars has disappeared now. Because all of this other stuff turned into the Cup of Stars, right? So the Cup of Stars is supposed to be your dream right or like the part of you they can't get to Mm -hmm. and that's why i think actually like this in some ways is eleanor kind of coming back to herself so even as she's saying all that is gone and left behind but it's not because she goes all that is gone and left behind and that poor little lady praying still for me so the ending is not that it's gone the ending is that the woman is praying right because all eleanor actually wants is someone to think about her and care about her and these ideas of like the oleanders and the little lion or the, the stone lions are versions of her life that she would have dreamed about. Like those became the cup of stars. The others have arrived in the library. For a minute, she can't really place who they are, but then she remembers. And the order in which she remembers is, I think, very telling. Luke, Dr. Montague, Mrs. Montague, Arthur. She could not remember the other who stood silent and a little apart. Is Theo is the most threatening to the house because it's hmm. the person she has the most intense connection with. And so that's the person whose memory the house most, most needs to keep from Eleanor. Yeah, that's true. What do you think? No, I love that. I Theo, we see a bit of a different side of her, I think, in these last pages. The last exchange between Theo and Eleanor is one of my favorites in the entire novel, but we're not there quite yet. There's a quick debate over whose job it's going to be to come collect her since she's sort of awoken from her spell and she can't get down. Luke is the one nominated to come get her. And so... He's a real douche here. (laughs) Why? He just is a fucking douche. (laughs) Like, I guess I'm like, you have, like, you have been experiencing all this shit like all this haunting the same as everybody else Mm -hmm. and it's only at this point that you're like eleanor is just being fucking crazy and needy like eleanor like he's literally like eleanor you're being such a pick me right now (laughs) i'm just like you know better can you read for us on the bottom of 173 come on he said sharply down to the end of that paragraph on 174 come on he said sharply eleanor hung back The last time you told me to go ahead, you never followed, she said. Perhaps I will just push you over the edge, Luke said. Let you smash down there on the floor. Now behave yourself and move slowly. Get past me and start down the stairs. And just hope, he added furiously, that I can resist the temptation to give you a shove. Okay. So when Eleanor says the last time you said you were coming, you did not, what is she referring to? When they were in the woods and he and Theo left her yeah alone yeah they ditched her at the brook 
So even now in this perilous situation, Eleanor's abandonment issues are really coming to the forefront. And this is really the first physically perilous situation that we've seen. Remember, Dr. Montague talks about how the only danger presented by ghosts is human beings to themselves. So the staircase is rotted away from the wall. Slowly, perilously, they're making their way down. And because Shirley is herself, even at the moment of the highest tension in the entire novel, there is comic stuff. Um, and of course, this comes in the form of Mrs. Montague, who's in her curlers and her bathrobe. Do you remember what animal is on her bathrobe? No. A dragon. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So she has her hair in curlers and a big dragon on her bathrobe. She's both like the most annoying person in the world and like also an icon. Can you read um, her speech on the bottom of 174 to the top of 175, please? This childish nonsense has almost certainly destroyed any chance of manifestations tonight, I can tell you. I certainly do not look to see any of our friends from beyond after this ridiculous performance. So if you will all excuse me, and if you are sure that you are finished with your posturing and performing and waking up busy people, I will say good night, Arthur. Mrs. Montague swept out, dragon rampant, quivering with indignation. Okay. So, so is she telling Arthur to come to bed with her? Uh, Arthur has his own room, but um, yeah, she's like, we're leaving. Come on, Arthur. Obviously completely missing the point. Although I do think it's not a coincidence that she says this childish nonsense. Yeah, and I think that the part that is honest is that Eleanor... Eleanor is not performing, mm -hmm. but she is enjoying having an audience. Absolutely. I love that. You know, so it's like, I get why Mrs. Montague is like these fucking dramatic little girls who mm -hmm. just want attention. Because they are dramatic little girls who just want attention. Yes. And are also being possessed. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. So I mentioned earlier that we're seeing a bit of a change in Theo. For her part, she does seem to have been genuinely concerned the whole time Nell's been up there. So she says, be careful. It's going to be all right, Nellie, Nellie. Okay, okay, okay. So after Mrs. Montague and Arthur sort of sweep out with what they presume to be great dignity, Luke says, what an imbecile you are, Nell. And the doctor says, I'm inclined to agree with him. But it's Theo who says, I suppose you had to do it, Nell. So what do you think about that? You know, what does she understand? I think she does understand because I think the whole root of Theo's jealousy is not that the doctor and Luke are giving Eleanor attention, but it is. She knows the house cares more about Eleanor. Like, I think that's true. So I do think she understands because she's so jealous. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think it was interesting, too, when Eleanor is like, Luke was the last person I wanted to come yeah. and get me. Yeah. Because, like, obviously you're like, well, she, of course she wants Theo to find her. But then I thought that was interesting, Dr. Montague. I feel like I would have swap, swapped them. Like, I feel like even if she doesn't have what she has with Theo with Luke, there is something there that's supposed mm -hmm. to be. She wants Luke's attention. She wants him to take care of her, I think. Yeah. I think the worst person to find you would be Arthur because he has a gun. <laughs> anyway, so next morning... It's that awful feeling, you know, 
I mean, I have never yeah. had this experience, but I have heard from people who have had this experience. The morning after a night out, you know you made a scene, um, but nobody's saying anything. You've never had this experience? No, never, ever, 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 ever in my life. I've never done anything oh, you're being, embarrassing. You're being silly. Uh, so Eleanor says it's humiliating and disastrous. Everybody's acting as they usually do, but of course it turns that turns out that Eleanor is getting kicked out. So Eleanor is essentially getting evicted from Hill House, which she now considers to be her own. So Theo is wearing Nell's red sweater, and the doctor says Theo's going to pack for her, to which Eleanor giggles and says she can't. She won't have anything to wear. So there's something a little bit malicious in that. I think it's like house logic. Like, because mm -hmm. she was bought into this, it's yeah. like, well, you can't send me because you'll be naked. Like, I think it's like <laughs> Eleanor being like, that's so silly of you to think. Yes. But then what do we learn about the current state of Theo's clothes? It wasn't true. Yeah. They're fine now. So to me, this sort of implies that maybe Eleanor was somehow behind the destruction of Theodora's clothes. Of all the manifestations that we're getting, I think they are all obviously connected to Eleanor. But the blood on Theodora's clothes, I think, is probably Eleanor's favorite um, in that it attacks Theodora and pulls her closer at the same time. When Shirley was writing this, she referred to it as a poltergeist novel. I, I don't think we're off the mark to talk about it that way. So Mrs. Montague is the one who went in Theo's room. It's no longer wrecked. Another comic moment, the doctor essentially says, I was going to go in there, but I thought she cuts him off. You always think, John, and that's your problem. Yeah. So for the doctor's part, he seems to be feeling a little bit guilty, seeing as how this whole thing was his idea. We don't learn that they signed any waivers because that would be a little out of place in this novel. Imagine the lawsuit if Eleanor had fallen to her death. From... Eleanor's family and the uh, the owners of the house, I think. Yeah, yeah. So he can get sued both ways. Um, but nobody gets sued in the world, world of Shirley Jackson. It's just not something that happens. So as he's shuffling her out the door, he's saying he can't say how sorry he is, if there's anything he can do, on and on and on. So let's pause here a second. Episode three, which is one of our least listened to episodes. Sorry, Dr. Montague. Um, but that was the one we devoted to him. It's called Daddy Teacher Hybrid. So we devoted a lot of time to him there. And then we essentially ignored him for the rest of the series. But before we end, what do you think of him on the whole now that we've read the whole thing? Yeah, I guess I, in the house, like when he speaks, I believe that he cares about the research and I believe that he cares about Eleanor and Theo and Luke, but that initial description makes me feel kind of really unmoored and kind of uncertain. Mm -hmm. Well, what about the initial description do you find problematic? It's not just problematic. I just feel like every, initially he wanted to come here for the fame mm -hmm. and for the like notoriety mm -hmm. and kind of wasn't necessarily interested in the truth, I think. Hmm. Do you think he's a bad person? No. And I think you can care about money and fame. Mm -hmm. and still care about people. Like, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Okay. But I guess I just felt like I knew who he was in that initial description. And then I don't think that matches who we see. Okay. So 
Eleanor says, you can't send me away. I can't leave. Then Theo hits her with the, didn't you just hear Mrs. Montague? I don't need your clothes. And even if I did, I wouldn't wear them now. Now you've got to get away from here. Thoughts about that? That's our, that's our girl. <laughs> yeah, that is Theo. And then you said this line you found particularly crushing what Luke says to her. You are no longer welcome as my guest. Madam, you are no longer welcome as my guest. Because Luke really hasn't played the this is my house. Yes, he hasn't. Hard, like, no Draco Malfoy is he with the, like, <laughs> my my family. You know, like, that hasn't been his vibe at all. Yeah, he's mentioned it a couple of times, but only in a joking way. Like, when I own the house, I'm going to wreck it. This is the first yeah. time we see him pull rank as this is my house, you are my guests. And he's just being such a douche, I don't know. <laughs> I like I kind of liked Luke and I thought he was like kind of like sweet and dopey and stupid. Uh-huh. Uh no longer. Okay. Yeah. This is an archetype for Shirley. Um the sort of lovable rascal scoundrel who's maybe a little bit more um of a jerk than you would like him to be. Um so in the Sundial that's Essex in We Have Always Lived in the Castle that is cousin Charles. Like, I feel like he's the type of guy who would, like, be nice to the weird girl at school and she would have a huge crush on him. Mm -hmm. And then she would overhear him being like, yeah, God, she's the worst. You know, like, I feel like that's the kind where, like, you actually think he's nice and then he actually is just a psychopath. I don't know if he's necessarily a psychopath, but I just think he's a jerk. Yeah. No, that was too strong a language, but... I don't know. I got heated up for my girl, L. <laughs> okay. Now, Mrs. Montague thinks that Arthur should better had better drive Eleanor back to the city. Again, she's a complete idiot. Turns out probably to have been right. And also, again, like, I'm, I've been really struck by what you said about how she cares about the ghosts. Like, she doesn't care about Eleanor, but also there's this, like, that's the right thing to do yes <laughs> when someone has a mental breakdown is like drive them home yeah <laughs> and so there is this sense that she's the only person who is not she's not being compassionate but mm-hmm. her action is compassionate you know what i mean she's yeah. the only person who's thinking hey this girl tried to jump off a tower maybe we should drive her home <laughs> yeah the others are just like nah she's fine let her go and, like, Dr. Montague has, like, a bullshit, like, it's necessary for her, whatever. Mm. And that's just bullshit. He just wants to finish his experiment. That's true, yeah. And he wants to, like, be with the cool kids. Yes. Arthur could see that she gets there safely. Gets where? Eleanor asks happily. Why? The doctor said. Home, of course. And Theodora said, Nell, your own little place, your own apartment, where all your things are. And Eleanor laughed. So Eleanor's grand plan is now blowing up in her face. Mackenzie, can you please read for us at the top of 177 that paragraph? I haven't any apartment, she said to Theodora. I made it up. I sleep on a cot at my sister's in the baby's room. I haven't any home, no place at all. And I can't go back to my sister's because I stole her car. She laughed, hearing her own words so inadequate and so unutterably sad. I haven't any home, she said again and regarded them hopefully. No home. 
Everything in all the world that belongs to me is in a carton in the back of my car. That's all I have, some books and things I had when I was a little girl and a watch my mother gave me. I could, of course, go on and on, she wanted to tell them, seeing always their frightened, staring faces. I could go on and on, leaving my clothes for Theodora. I could go wandering and homeless, errant, and I would always come back here. It would be simpler to let me stay, more sensible, she wanted to tell them, happier. I want to stay here, she said to them. Okay. I think that in generally, like you're saying, like we are seeing this new kind of side to Theodora who acting like she actually cares about Nell. But the truth is that Theodora knows it's fake. Like Theodora Mm -hmm. knows the apartment is fake because she's taunted her about it before. So this is just Mm -hmm. like her manipulating her. So you think she's known the whole time? Don't you? She makes all those comments like, yeah. oh, you're going to go to your little apartment now, right, with your cup of stars? Like, I feel like that's so catty that... Yeah, I've never read it that way. I've always read her as taking Eleanor at her word, but I think you can absolutely read it that way, that she's known all along. And in fact, then that makes her uh, refusal to take Eleanor home with her a much worse thing to do. But also, how- Dr. Montague must know too, how did he send the letter to her if he didn't have her address? Huh. Interesting. I never thought of that. I think you might have just discovered a plot hole the same way where um, we know that Ariel can write her name because we see her sign it on Ursula's scroll. So when Eric is trying to learn her name, why doesn't she just write it down? In the new version, she doesn't sign her name. (laughs) They're just like, we're going to avoid that. Yeah, (laughs) we'll take care of that. I think that this part where she says, I want to stay here. As far as I can remember, this is the only time in the entire novel where Eleanor says, I want X. Oh my gosh. We've seen her imply what she's wanted a lot of other times. She's asked to come home with Theodora. She wanted to come to Hill House. But this is the first time we see her say, I want this thing. And it is, of course, to stay at Hill House. A little bit above that, you read that she can go on and on, go wandering, homeless, errant, and always come back here. This part is one of the reasons why I picked the brilliant Come Wander With Me as our entry music. Um, I could have just as easily picked, I think it's Yeats's poem about um, the fairies. Run away, O human child, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Very much the same vibe. So we could see, you know, Hill House 2, Eleanor's Life on the Road, but unfortunately not to be. Uh, Incidentally, we learn that Mrs. Montague has spoken to Eleanor's sister. What does Eleanor's sister care about? What is she concerned about? Gotta go on vacation. She needs her car. Yes. Yes. Um, Their sister has been gone for a week and Carrie's like, well, can I have my car back? I have to go on vacation. And in fact, Mrs. Montague said, Like she expresses annoyance with the sister and for Mrs. Montague to be annoyed by somebody, we know that person has a really self-absorbed person. Yes. We know that this person has to be pretty bad. Um, So she says again, I think somebody should take her home. The doctor, it would be a mistake. It would be a mistake to send one of us with her. She must be allowed to forget everything about this house as soon as she can. We can prolong the association no longer. Once away from here, she will be herself again. Can you find your way home? He asked Eleanor. 
And Eleanor laughed. Why does Eleanor laugh? Because she is home. Yes. We don't really often talk about books having thesis statements. We did um, with this one with Mother House. But I do think that this is the major question of the book and the major question of Eleanor. Can you find your way home? Eleanor says, walled up alive, walled up alive. I want to stay here. So do you remember where we've seen people walled up alive before? When Mrs. Montague was uh, playing with Planchette, she claimed to get messages from a nun who was walled up alive. Oh, yeah. So I think Eleanor here is acknowledging, yes, I am metaphorically walled up alive. So, Mackenzie, can you please read on 178 that first paragraph, please? They made a solid line among the steps of Hill House, guarding the door. Beyond their heads, she could see the windows looking down, and to one side, the tower waited confidently. She might have cried if she could have thought of any way of telling them why. Instead, she smiled brokenly up at the house, looking at her own window, at the amused certain face of the house, watching her quietly. The house was waiting now, she thought, and it was waiting for her. No one else could satisfy it. The house wants me to stay, she told the doctor, and he stared at her. He was standing very stiff and with great dignity, as though he expected her to choose him instead of the house. As though having brought her here, he thought that by unwinding his directions, he could send her back again. His back was squarely turned to the house, and looking at him honestly, she said, I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry, really. Okay. The house is waiting, waiting for her. No one else could satisfy it. This is what I mean. Like, the house is, like, actually quite patient and confident and is just, like, waiting for her to do what the house knows is inevitable. Yeah. So Dr. Montague does the sort of dad thing. I don't know if your dad does this. Whenever I'm leaving here to go back to Connecticut, I just put it in my GPS. And as I'm leaving, my dad is telling me directions. So does your dad do that? Um, No, but this is so sad, the scene. Like, I don't know, him reading the directions as she's like begging to stay is just like, so, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so gut-wrenching. They're having two different conversations. Yeah. So Dr. Montague has previously dismissed any concerns about will Eleanor get home safely. For your own safety, he added with a kind of urgency. For your own safety, my dear, believe me, if I had foreseen this. And he's saying that that's why they're sending her home. So he definitely recognizes that Eleanor is a danger to herself. Um, He goes on to say there might be a next time. Do you understand? We cannot take that chance. So... If we could see the five minutes after Hill House ends um, and them all running to find Eleanor having crashed into the car, I'm pretty sure the doctor would not be surprised. And then Mrs. Montague would probably say, see, but we don't get to see that. You think the doctor knew that it was likely she was going to kill herself? I don't think that he thought she was going to kill herself in the car, but I think that he thought it was a great possibility if she remained in the house. And that just that he was too late Yes. I wasn't afraid, Eleanor says. I was happy. It's the only time anything's ever happened to me. I liked it. That, said the doctor, is why you are leaving in such a hurry. That's another thesis statement, kind of. Yeah. It's the only time anything's ever happened to me. I liked it. 
it's almost like an abusive relationship right where someone like you've never gotten attention before and then like somebody like love bombs you and you're like this is dope and then once it turns bad you're like well at least someone's paying attention to me yes yes absolutely Eleanor is completely abused by the house and so we're seeing some Stockholm syndrome here can you read the next paragraph please Eleanor closed her eyes this is on 179 Eleanor closed her eyes and sighed, feeling and hearing and smelling the house. A flowering bush beyond the kitchen was heavy with scent, and the water in the brook moved sparkling over the stones. Far away, upstairs, perhaps in the nursery, a little eddy of wind gathered itself and swept along the floor, carrying dust. In the library, the iron stairway swayed, and light glittered on the marble eyes of Hugh Crane. Theodora's yellow shirt hung neat and unstained. Mrs. Seldley was setting the lunch table for five. Hillhouse watched, arrogant and patient. I won't go away, Eleanor said up to the high windows. Okay. I love this paragraph. My favorite detail is the light on the marble eyes of Hugh Crane as if the statue itself is alive. But um, one thing that jumped out at me as you were reading is that just like the picnic scene, this paragraph is very reminiscent of the beginning of the lottery. Uh, the beginning of the lottery talks about how it's bright and sunny and um, the grass is richly green and the flowers are profuse. And in fact, June 27th is lottery day. So that was yesterday. I had initially planned for our first, our final episode rather to be released on June 21st, which is the day Eleanor comes to Hill House. That didn't happen. So then I planned for lottery day. That didn't happen. But you know what? You get what you get and you don't get upset. Okay. So we have this image of Hill House as this sort of idyllic place. And now she starts saying her goodbyes. All right. So as Eleanor is saying her goodbyes, Mrs. Montague says one final time, send Arthur with her. Do not send her by herself. No, the doctor said strongly. Eleanor has to go back the way she came. It's like a weird sense of mysticism from him, which I feel like is unusual. Yes. Um, That line always reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. I was just going to say that. Yeah. When Dorothy goes, I can't go back the way I came. I made Judy Garland sound like legs go all the way up, Griffin. No disrespect. I love you, Judy. Dorothy says, I can't go back the way I came. Shirley Jackson was a huge Oz fan. She definitely would have seen the movie. She had read all the books. Um, I would not be surprised if this was a wink towards the Wizard of Oz on Shirley's part. Luke, the last thing we hear from him, drive carefully. A son of a bitch. (laughs) I don't know that I've ever said that before. Son of a bitch. That's one of my favorites. You can't just make me go. You brought me here and I'm sending you away, the doctor says. We won't forget you, Eleanor, but right now the only important thing for you is to forget Hill House and all of us. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mrs. Montague said firmly from the steps. Arthur said, goodbye, have a good trip. Now, I know reading is usually your job, but this is one of my favorite parts, so I'm going to steal it. Take it. Then Eleanor, her hand on the door of the car, stopped and turned. Theo, she said inquiringly, and Theodora ran down the steps to her. I thought you weren't going to say goodbye to me, she said. Oh, Nellie, my Nell, be happy. Please be happy. 
Don't really forget me. Someday things really will be all right again, and you'll write me letters, and I'll answer, and we'll visit each other, and we'll have fun talking over the crazy things we did and saw and heard in Hill House. Oh, Nellie, I thought you weren't going to say goodbye to me. Goodbye, Eleanor said to her. Very sad. Do you think Theo is genuine here? Yeah. Do you? Yes. In the early days of the pandemic, when it seemed that the world was ending, I found myself consistently saying to myself, someday things really will be all right again. And I didn't believe it, but I was right. So good for me. I was right. Theodora, however, is not. But I just want to contrast this um, with what Theodora says earlier about their lives after Hill House. Earlier, Theo says, you know, we'll write each other and maybe visit, but that's it. Now, Theo's talking about, you know, of course, we'll visit, we'll have fun talking over the crazy things. So I am sort of of two minds about this part. Part of me believes Theo is genuine and she feels terribly guilty. Another part wonders if Theo's not putting on a show because they're in front of all the others. Does it matter so much? Maybe not. Well, and I also think we've been focusing on the way the house affects Eleanor because the house is obsessed with Eleanor. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean the house can't also bring out the worst in everybody else. Like, I don't think Theo was possessed, but I think it's possible that like she has a cruel part of her that was exacerbated and elevated while being in the house. And that doesn't make her not responsible for her actions, but just Mm -hmm. like Eleanor the version of herself that needed attention and needed people to care about her, that was kind of elevated and developed by the house. I think it's possible that that the same thing was happening for Theo and she didn't want things to be that way. Yeah. When Eleanor is doing her waltz through Hill House, she says, behind that door, faithless Theodora, knock, knock, Theo, wake up and be faithless. All right. And that is also partly the house talking. That's how the house sees Theo. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You are on fire today. Thank you. Okay. I, have a, I have a hot take. Or I, have, I don't have a hot take, but I think we disagree about the ending. And so I'm, okay. I'm excited to see what okay. you think about it. Can you read um, that next paragraph that begins, they waved back at her? They waved back at her dutifully, standing still, watching her. They will watch me down the drive as far as they can see, she thought. It is only civil for them to look at me until I am out of sight. So now I am going. Journeys end in lovers meeting. But I won't go, she thought and laughed aloud to herself. Hill House is not as easy as they are. Just by telling me to go away, they can't make me leave. Not if Hill House means me to stay. Go away, Eleanor, she chanted aloud. Go away, Eleanor. We don't want you anymore. Not in our Hill House. Go away, Eleanor. You can't stay here, but I can, she sang but I can. They don't make the rules around here. They don't turn me out or shut me out or laugh at me or hide from me. I won't go. And Hill House belongs to me. Okay. Anything you want to point out in this paragraph? I mean, journey's end and lover's meeting, right? Yes. This is our last journey's end and lover's meeting. And the lovers are Eleanor in the house, right? Yes. So now I am going. This is an echo of what Eleanor thinks earlier on her way to Hill House. I am going, I am going, I have finally taken the step. And we'll see this in just another minute. But there's something incredibly petulant about what Eleanor's voice becomes here. Go away, 
Go away, Eleanor. We don't want you in our Hill House. I can, though. You, they don't make the rules. They can't turn me out. I won't go, and Hill House belongs to me. She sounds incredibly childish. Um, this is Eleanor at her most childish. And, in fact, the consequences, as we see, are tragic. With what she perceived as quick cleverness, she pressed her foot down hard on the accelerator. They can't run fast enough to catch me this time, she thought. But by now they must be beginning to realize. I wonder who notices first. Luke, almost certainly. I can hear them calling now, she thought. And the little footsteps running through Hill House and the soft sounds of the hills pressing closer. I am really doing it, she thought, turning the wheel to send the car directly at the great tree at the curve of the driveway. I am really doing it. I am doing this all by myself. Now, at last, this is me. I am really, really, really doing it by myself. In the unending, crashing second before the car hurled into the tree, she thought clearly, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why don't they stop me? And thus, Eleanor Vance meets her end. Horrible. Okay. Last episode, and I edited this out because I didn't want to spoil it for anybody who wasn't up with the reading. Um, last episode, you figured out that this was how Eleanor was going to end. So that when you read the paragraph or the pages for today, um, you knew that this was what Eleanor was going to do. Yeah. Was there anything that surprised you about the ending anyway? I guess like, and it's not like the 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 tone of the novel has been overly cold or sarcastic, but I guess it surprised me how sad it is and how it's like, it feels like a true tragedy. Yes. Like it doesn't feel like a gotcha moment or it doesn't feel like, you know, the end of a scary story. It feels like a real like Shakespearean tragedy, like mm -hmm. nothing ever could have turned out differently. Yeah. It was always we were always hurtling towards this point. And so I was like shocked by like the depth of sadness I felt reading it. Yeah. In fiction class, they teach you that endings have to be surprising, but inevitable. The unsurprising ending would have been um, her jumping off the tower. Yes. And so I think this is, it does feel shocking. It didn't happen there, but then of course it's in the car. Of course it's yes. to stay. Why is the car significant? There's a focus on the journey, right? Journey's end and lover's meeting. That quote you just read about taking the first steps of a journey. Mm -hmm. And I think that in some ways it shows just like leaving a place doesn't, you can't leave yourself behind, you know, like. And so it shows that like, ultimately it's not the going or the staying that matters, but like how you do it. Mm -hmm. Driving. With this entire novel has been a sign of Eleanor's agency. And so it's not a coincidence that she steals her sister's car and drives there. And that is indeed how she meets her end. She kills herself, right? The biggest act of agency Eleanor Vance does in 32 years is to drive her car into a tree. I disagree. Why? I don't think it's an act of agency. I think okay. it's like 
she has this like void of self. Mm-hmm. So anything can fill it, right? That's true. It's filled by her mother. It's filled by Theo. And now it's filled by the house. So like that mm-hmm. last moment, the why am I doing this? Yeah. Like, I don't think she's choosing to do it. I think she's so void of a self that like she gets manipulated isn't quite the right word but mm-hmm. she she's like not doing it it's the house that's doing it and so I think that's why like I remember you saying that the house the ending can be interpreted as a happy ending yeah. um and I don't think that I think it is pure tragedy okay this is actually not the part I think is the happy ending we'll get to that but I want to make it very clear I'm not happy Eleanor's dead yeah I've I've had students in the past think that um Eleanor is possessed right up until she starts saying, why am I doing this? Why don't they stop me? That's what I think. I see it more as when little kids are trying to do things and they say, don't help me, don't help me, don't help me. Um, Yeah. I think Eleanor's tragedy is that there has always been somebody to stop her. And it is to the point where she has come to rely on that. And so... Yes, she's saying, look at me, I'm doing it by myself. But maybe a small part of her still thinks that they're going to come stop her. All right. And Mackenzie, the honor is yours. Bring us on home. Mrs. Sanderson was enormously relieved to hear that Dr. Montague and his party had left Hill House. She would have turned them out, she told the family lawyer, if Dr. Montague had shown any sign of wanting to stay. Theodora's friend, mollified and contrite, was delighted to see Theodora back so soon. Luke took himself off to Paris, where his aunt fervently hoped he would stay for a while. Dr. Montague finally retired from active scholarly pursuits after the cool, almost contemptuous reception of his preliminary article analyzing the psychic phenomena of Hill House. Hill House itself, not sane, stood against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Within, its walls continued upright. Bricks met neatly. Floors were firm and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House and whatever walked there walked alone. Finn. All right thoughts about this paragraph and then we will look at the novel as a whole i'm like peeved about it why i I just want more like Mm -hmm. info um if you don't like endings that just stop you will really not like the sundial in fact uh in shirley's letters i was reading um i forget what magazine it might have been good housekeeping uh where she gave them a story And they said, we like it, but we're not going to publish it unless you give us one more paragraph in which everything is explained. So this is a very Shirley ending. Now, I think it's a little bit funny that Dr. Montague gets nothing out of this. Um, Yeah. They hate his paper. He retires. And everybody else just goes back to their life. Except, of course, for Eleanor. Now... I want to not rescind, but amend my reading of this as a happy ending. I have always thought that Eleanor gets what she wants at the end 
which is to stay in Hill House with a family that loves her, right? With the people at the picnic, essentially. However, rule number one of this novel, whatever walks there walks alone. And so my reading of this novel is that this has all happened before and it will all happen again. This is cyclical. Um, the house chose Eleanor. Pretty soon it will choose someone else. That's why I think it's such a tragedy because even in death, Eleanor is forgotten by everyone and is forgotten by the house. Yeah. I said several times that I was initially disappointed by this ending. What are your thoughts coming to it as a first time reader? I am not disappointed. And I think it is beautiful. Okay. Not like, not like beautifully written or like, like, I just think like the, the kind of depth of the tragedy feels beautiful. Yes. Well, you've read the entirety of The Haunting of Hill House. Excellent. Do Five you, stars. Do you feel changed? Um, I actually do feel changed. Aww. Just because like, I feel like I've never read a novel like this. Mm -hmm. Like even in college, you wouldn't spend essentially what's at this point more than a semester on one book. Yes. And so I do think it has like changed the way I think about reading and the way I think about like responses to reading just because I feel like I discovered so much of what I thought just talking to you what about you this is your umpteenth time reading the novel any new insights for you yes so the thing about the book that Theo gives her friend um the lesbian erotica never realized that before I don't know if it changed any of my ideas about Hill House um I am not somebody who changes their mind very often, which is a major flaw of mine. But even now, like within this episode alone, I can think of things that I forgot to say. So we are by no means an exhaustive chapter, but we have done our meager contribution to the world of Shirley Jackson. I asked you earlier who you think the ghost is. And I was surprised by that question. Okay. Why? I don't think there's a ghost. I think there is a oh. horse, a haunting. Yes, Shirley thought that there was no ghost and everything was psychological. I don't think everything is psychological. Okay. You think that there is something, just not. Yeah, I think there's like a force of e evil and chaos and yeah. like perversity. Yes. that is there chaos and perversity are the perfect words for hill house but i don't think it's ukraine i don't think it's the campaign i think it's like a thing like i think it's like a force a demon maybe yeah i think it's just like a, i can't like I, I can't even think of a word to describe it besides like a force a thing yeah well, what do you think i think it's the companion <laughs> um well i if I had to pick a person, I think it's the companion. But hearing you talk about it, I think I like your theory better. So in your companion reading, mm -hmm. the when they built it and it was they were creeped out by it, you think that's just like talk that has emerged around the house? I don't know. I guess I never thought of that. Yeah, there are a lot of holes in my theory as you're revealing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I have had readings where I thought it was Ukraine, but this was not one of them. All right. Well, so long. We've reached journey's end. And you know what? The real lovers meeting were the friends we made along the way. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for coming along with us, everybody. We really appreciate it. You will hear from us again, hopefully by the end of the summer. Mackenzie, do you have any final words for the folks at home? If you're here, thanks for sticking with us and hope to see you soon. Uh, thank you, everybody. <laughs> we really appreciate it. And uh, sleep tight. <laughs>